Hey everybody, how's it going? Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Hope everybody is having a great Wednesday so far. Um, we're a little bit closer to Arsenal returning to action, but not close enough really, are we? Um, I've really struggled with January. I've got to be honest, when you look at the way Arsenal's fixtures have kind of been laid out in January, it's been a really sort of underwhelming start to the to the year. Like you get into the year and you just want to get going, right? You just want to crack on. You just want to push. Um, and you look at sort of the way it's been. We come back after the uh, the Fulham game on New Year's Eve. We start um, our 2024 with that FA Cup tie against Liverpool, which obviously we lost. Then we play Crystal Palace some 13 days after that. And we get the victory, which was great. But then we have this massive gap again between Crystal Palace and the game coming up on Tuesday night against Nottingham Forest. It's been really difficult as someone whose livelihood is based around covering the club because there just isn't anything going on. Um, we're trying to sort of, uh, you know, to, to find things to, to talk about and to analyse. And sometimes, you know, when these opportunities come along, it's great because it gives you an opportunity to dive into topics that maybe you know, in the, the busy part of a season, you wouldn't really have the time to kind of veer off towards. But I've really struggled with it at the start of this year, not just in terms of the Chronicles of Aguna, but generally in terms of my work. I just found it a really, really challenging time. Like you start the new year, you really want to get going, you really want to push, but you can't because you're at the mercy of the fixture list and of the footballing calendar. We've had the kind of winter break that was split across two weeks, which has been um, good in the sense that we've at least had football to watch, but you know, they've been reduced Premier League programs and it's been quite difficult, um, to sort of keep that momentum going. I'm hoping that once we get back to action, of course, um, you know, in, in a few days' time, that from then on we'll be flying for the rest of the campaign and we can really get into it and dig our teeth into it. But yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering how you guys have been feeling, really, uh, with regards to the kind of stop and start nature of 2024 so far. Thank you for all joining me um, on this live episode of the pod. I really, really do appreciate it. If you haven't checked out yesterday's episode, where we talked at length actually about sort of the atmosphere issues, the stadium stuff, which has been a big talking point over the last few days, go and check that out. It is the last episode on your podcast feed. Um, if you're a YouTube viewer, you'll find the full episode, but you'll also find uh, a condensed version of the stadium chat, which you can uh, get involved in. If you haven't seen that video yet, please just pop in, like it, leave a comment, whatever. As we said, we're going to be up in our YouTube game this year where we're going to be releasing segments of the full episodes as well, uh, because it's just the nature of the way people like to consume content these days. Uh, some people prefer the full shows. Others prefer to just take snippets regarding certain topics. So uh, we're trying to cater for everybody as we move forward. On today's show, we're going to talk Victor Osimhen, who apparently has already made his mind up as to where he's going to go in the summer. We'll also talk about the ex-Spurs man that Arsenal are being linked with, and we're going to discuss Kieran Tierney's latest injury problems. We'll also talk a little bit about some of the things that come out of last night's fans forum, um, which I have to say, looking at some of the tweets and some of the reaction to, didn't go down that well with some of the fan groups. And, and I can understand why, but we'll get into all of that as well on this edition of the Chronicles of Aguda. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, like the video, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already, turn on your little notification bell so that you never miss a live stream or an episode. 
And uh, if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review. That really, really does help. But we're going to dive in to today's stories right after this short pause. Don't go anywhere. Okay, let's do it. Right. So let's begin uh, by discussing uh, Kyle Walker Peters, the former Tottenham man who is being linked with a move to Arsenal in this window. Now, this was a report that came from Team Talk, who also said that Arsenal were considering a move for Karen Benzema, which I, I sort of rubbished at the time. Um, we know that Leon in France are trying desperately to try and make something happen. But the way it's looking at the moment, given the Saudis' stance on Karen Benzema and what it would mean to them losing him, it would be another player that's kind of turned his back on the Saudi Pro League really early on in their project. So it wouldn't look good for them. They're not going to make it easy. And Leon are as cash-strapped as they come, really, aren't they? Um, you know, they've they've tried to spend a bit of money of late, but, you know, they've always kind of put this noise out that if it's there, they'll spend it. It's not a case of, you know, them not wanting to, but they've started the season, or they had a really poor start to the season, and they're sort of starting to get back on their feet at the moment. But Karen Benzema going back there would be one of those... Um, you know, moves that tugs on the heartstrings. It's where he made his name. It's where he became a superstar. Um, you could argue that he went up to a whole new level, of course, when he joined Real Madrid. But people were looking at him at that point. Arsenal included. How many times were we linked with Karim Benzema before he ended up at Real Madrid? But the reason I bring that up is to try and kind of, um, to kind of make the point that there are a lot of stories out there that probably don't have that much substance to them. So like Mikel Arteta could be sitting in a restaurant and chatting with a mate and saying, yeah, you know what? I, I think Karen Benzema is a really good player. And somebody could take that and pass it off as this big story. Arsenal are interested in so-and-so. You can be interested in someone. You can like someone without there ever being any chance of that deal happening. And the Karen Benzema stuff is a prime example of that. I think the same applies to Kyle Walker-Peters, not for the same reasons. Kyle Walker-Peters is gettable in terms of his wages, his salary. Why wouldn't he want to move from the championship to the Premier League? Put his Spurs connections to one side. You know, this is one that if Arsenal really, really wanted to do, they probably could, but they'd have to pay. They'd have to put a substantial transfer fee up, enough of a transfer fee to make Southampton in the middle of a promotion push, let one of their most important players go. So you're talking probably north of £20 million to do this deal. Well, we've been saying all window that Arsenal can't do this type of move right now. If they could, they would. If they can, they will. If an opportunity presents itself that they think is going to improve the side and they can get a little bit creative with the financials around it, then they will make every effort to make that happen. But I can't sit here and say to you all month long that Arsenal aren't able to do this. They aren't able to do that. But now, actually, they've miraculously found 20-odd million quid down the back of the sofa and they're going to go and sign Carl Walker-Peters. I think a lot of these stories are designed to generate clicks. Um, I don't know anybody at Team Talk. I'm not sitting or seeking to discredit any one individual person. I always say this, that as a journalist, you're only as good as the information that you get. But at the same time, like, this is one that I am not falling for. This is one that I am not going to um, even consider as a realistic possibility at the moment. Southampton are third in the championship. 
They're one point off of the automatic spots. They've been on a wonderful run of form under Russell Martin. Are they going to loan one of their most important players to Arsenal? Of course they're not. The only way a club like Southampton in their current position would allow this to happen is if Arsenal came in with a financial offer that was simply too good to turn down. And as a result of that, the player's head was turned and he was pushing for the move himself. But we keep saying we've got no money to spend. Well, let me rephrase that. It's not that we don't have money. It's that we are too close to breaching those financial profit and sustainability rules. Therefore, we have to be really, really careful. So the only way really you could see a deal like this going through is on loan. And would Southampton even entertain that possibility? I don't think so. Not for a second. So that one, Carl Walker-Peters to Arsenal. I'm going to go as far as saying you could probably put that one in the bin. I actually think he's a pretty good player. I actually think he's better than the championship. I actually think he's a player that was criminally underrated um, over the last few years. I think he's a good right back, but I think he's also got that capability of playing that left back as well, which is really, really important. Um, so I think he's a good player, he's a good sign-in, all the rest of it. But nah, um, when it comes to whether the, or not this is going to happen over the course of you know, the, the, the next six, seven days, I think it's highly, highly unlikely. But we're going to move on. Let me know your thoughts in the comments on Carl Walker-Peters. I'll pick up some of those after this very, very brief pause. But is he on his way to Arsenal between now and the end of the month? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> Hacker says, I'll withhold my opinion on this one. Talking about Kyle Walker-Peters. Um, Afsar says he's a top fullback and can play right back and left back and the middle. Yes, sign him, please. It's it's not a signing that would excite anybody, though. And and this is the problem that you get with signings as well. And, and the way that the transfer window has become this either thing that we all latch onto or the stick that we beat managers and football clubs with. Like Kyle Walker-Peters, I think, would be a competent signing. But you'd get people out there that would go, well, no, that's that's massively underwhelming. And I understand that point of view. I understand that school of thought. Um, I do. You know, you look at where a player is coming from. You look at their reputation at the time. And, you know, if you're a very Premier League centric football fan, you know, you, you'd be forgiven for, for forgetting about some of these players that in the Premier League centric mindset have maybe disappeared into the championship. But look, it's, it's not going to happen. Um, it's not going to um, materialise in this window. I think he's the prime example of someone you'd quite like to bring in as a as a stopgap, as someone who could plug a hole for you in the short term. But you take into consideration Southampton's position and all the rest of the stuff we've discussed, and it's just not going to happen on loan, which means a significant investment. And if you're going to make an investment, then surely there are better ways more effective ways and more long-term thinking kind of ways that you could improve your team. But anyway, uh, that's that on Carl Walker-Peters. I do want to touch on Kieran Tierney, who's picked up another injury um, while out on loan with La Real, Real Sociedad, that is, of course. Look, I think a lot of people a few weeks ago when we heard that Arsenal were potentially exploring the idea of bringing in a left-back, the first thing they said was, well, why did we let Kieran Tierney go out on loan? Bring him back, bring him back. Kieran Tierney then in an interview 
made it clear that his intention is to stay at La Real while he's really enjoying his football and all the rest of it. And then I've seen people subsequently after he picked up the injury saying, well, this is why you don't bring Kieran Tierney back because Kieran Tierney is somebody that is very, very injury prone and isn't really able to help us for that reason. We talk about a lot of players within our group not being available enough. Kieran Tierney, since he joined Arsenal from Celtic, has repeatedly had that problem. This is what I'll say, though. Kieran Tierney wasn't sent out on loan because of his injury problems. Maybe that was part of the reason. Perhaps that played into Mikel Arteta and Edu's thinking. But that wasn't the sole reason that Kieran Tierney was moved on. So if you're sitting there now and going, well, this is why we loaned him out because he's always injured, blah, blah, blah. It's not true. Takahiro Tomiyasu and Alexander Zinchenko, two players that, you know, are seen as arguably two of our top three options at left back, are constantly injured. Look at the amount of times over the course of the season that those two break down with some form of issue. So if it was purely about fitness, would those guys be um, on Mikel Arteta's list? Would they be players that he relies upon in that left back position? Absolutely not. The reason that Kieran Tierney, the real reason that Kieran Tierney was allowed to go out on loan to Real Sociedad in order to try and drive his value up in some way, shape or form ahead of a summer sale this summer coming was because he's just not suitable to playing in the system that Mikel Arteta wants. That's Mikel Arteta's view on Kieran Tierney. It's, yep, you're a good footballer. You're committed. Um, you know, you you can defend brilliantly. You also give us an option of tucking in as a third centre-back as well. I think he's done that really well when he's been tasked with that. But the bottom line with Kieran Tierney is not about his fitness record. The bottom line with Kieran Tierney is that he cannot play as an inverted fullback. He cannot do the very specific role that Mikel Arteta requires at left back in order for his system to click and for his system to work. That is the problem. He doesn't see him as good enough to move into central areas, get on the ball and help us play through the lines. That's the real reason that Mikel Arteta has allowed Kieran Tierney to move on. Look, he wasn't going to play. He wasn't going to play. So sending him out on loan at a club where he had a great chance of succeeding, like Real Sociedad, because they're in a really, really healthy position as a football club, means that you drive his value up ahead of the summer and then you get the opportunity to cash in on him and make some money back. We know that selling players for money is of paramount importance uh, going forward for the Gunners. So I just wanted to say um, my piece on that. I also want to talk about uh, some of the bits that came out of the fans forum yesterday. Um, I, I wasn't there, obviously. Um, I've only read some of the kind of uh, sort of fallout from it on social media. Red Action uh, have been speaking quite a bit about it via their channels. And there's a few bits that I just wanted to highlight. So um, there was talk about the Ashburton Army. We talked a lot about them yesterday and the impact that they have on the atmosphere in the stadium. Go back and check that episode out if you haven't done so already. But there seems to be some suggestion that a lot of the reason or part of the reason that their allocation was reduced was due to behaviour issues. In which case, it's really hard to argue with the club when they've taken that decision. You want them there because they bring atmosphere and I think they make a massive difference to the noise levels at that end of the stadium, especially. But if they've given the club an excuse to do this, now the club will always do what they think is in the best interests of themselves. And that will be, um, you know, 
thinking about ticket sales, thinking about the complaints they're getting about the, the ticketing system, the balloting system and all the rest of it at this moment in time. The Ashburton Army have a really, really good thing going and they are almost loved by the fans, but maybe not by the club. And clearly the reason they're not loved by the club, reading between the lines here, is because there's been some behavioural issues. Now, that won't be everybody. That won't be everybody involved with them. And I'd be lying if I said I knew the details and the intricacies of this. So I don't want to throw mud at anybody. But um, that doesn't help. When you are trying to campaign, essentially, for them to be given a bigger allocation, for them to be given that opportunity to do what they did so well last season, you hear things like that and you think, well, the club are kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. This is not me defending the football club or anything like that. I just don't think you need to give them an excuse to do the corporate thing, to do the business thing. I think you should be putting them in a position where there's so much pressure, there's so much um, clamour for you that eventually they have to give in. And it will benefit them as well. The Emirates is a much better place to go and watch football when they've got their big allocation and they're in great voice and it obviously helps the team as well. But it was interesting that that was, that was kind of raised that there've been some banning orders issued as well um, against some of those people, which um, yeah, which, which puts a downer on the whole thing, doesn't it? It also came out that there will be um, some uh, new tech installed uh, ahead of the new season to improve the 3G and 4G signals in the stadium. Look, the signal's terrible in the stadium, isn't it? But I kind of like that. And I'll tell you why I like that. In a weird way, it's frustrating sometimes when you want to send a message um, during a game. It's frustrating when you want to check something like a score elsewhere or whatever. But I do think that if you fix that, and I know this might be me being old-fashioned, you'll get a lot of people half paying attention to the game with their head in their phones. And I hate that at a football match. I really, really do. Um, I mean, I'm in the press box quite a bit now and, and I like sometimes, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to dig people out or anything like that, but I I feel like I need to get this uh, off my chest. I look at it and I'm, I'm sitting there, I was sitting there the other day against Crystal Palace, right? Arsenal are playing in front of you. You've got one of the best views in the house. You're sitting there and there was a guy in front of me that was reading the Telegraph or something on his laptop and when I glanced because he was sitting right in front of me it was nothing to do with football it was nothing to do with sport and I just thought to myself why the hell are you there like and that kind of stuff annoys me and I think when you've got a laptop in front of you at a match there is a temptation isn't there to to be distracted and to kind of look at other things I I think that by improving the phone signal I know a lot of people love it and they use it to check live score and all the rest of it I also think that you may be taking away from the attention and the focus on the game. That's just me. Um, you know, I do check my phone at half time. I do check my phone before the game, after the game. But I like to try and keep it in my pocket uh, when I'm in the North Bank because I want to be fo- uh, focused on um, on the game. And, and not having the signal kind of r- removes that temptation um, that I would have. So, yeah, um, I'm OK with that being as it is. But they're clearly going to take some action to fix that. Uh, There was also an acknowledgement in the fans forum of all of those that have been unsuccessful in the ballot. Now, there's a portion of supporters that have applied for the ballot every single game so far this season and haven't even been successful once. Now, that is not fair. Um, That is not fair. And there are people that have been successful on more than one occasion, which must be really frustrating for those that are missing out. So I want... um, I, I want 
you know, that to be resolved as best as possible. And we spoke about it yesterday. I don't know how you fix the ticketing issue because there's so many different aspects to it there's so many angles you can come at it from you keep one group happy you're inevitably pissing off another group it just it's one of those things that you can't win in i don't think but interesting that the club have acknowledged those things what's also interesting though is that there was nobody particularly high profile from the club that attended the fans forum yesterday there was complaints about the timing of it um there was complaints about um how disorganized it all was and it kind of gave those that were attending the impression that this wasn't a priority to the football club. Please, Arsenal, do not slip back into that sort of zone that we were in around about the time of the Super League or just before that, when there was zero communication with the fans. A lot of people were unsure about the Cronkies at that time. In fact, most people were standing outside the ground protesting for them to leave. You know, myself included at the time. What they've done is gone a long way, I think, in bridging that gap between themselves and the supporters by opening lines of communication, by attending these types of things regularly. Not necessarily the Cronkies directly. I don't expect them to fly in for a half an hour fans forum or whatever, but making sure that the right people, the people that are on the ground that need to be there are there. Vinay Venkateshan was a big part of that connection. Obviously, he's leaving the club at the end of the season and it kind of feels like now that we don't know what's going to happen with all that what i would say is please arsenal don't fall back into that trap of becoming almost disconnected apathetic to fan opinion and all the rest of it i think you need to be on top of this stuff because it's so important it's so big the ticketing thing i have some um some sympathy for them on that because i don't know what the answer is that makes everybody happy um and that gets everybody happy I yeah I I think that for me there is um you know there's a lot of issues that you know are complex and you'll probably never find the ideal solution for in everybody's eyes but you cannot start to show that these things that you worked hard to put in place and that really did impact in a positive way the fan opinion of the ownership and and sort of all of that you cannot start to show that these things are going by the wayside again. They need to be a priority. Um, Jay Walker says, uh, reports came out last year that the club were working with the police over anti-Semitic messaging from the Ashburton Army. I don't think the club could treat this lightly. So I want to be clear, Jay. I don't know that this is true. Um, I also don't know that it's not true. If this is true, then this cannot be taken lightly. You're absolutely right. And this needs to be dealt with. No, no question about that in my mind. The reason I haven't brought this up or commented on it is because I don't know. Um, so I don't want to sit and accuse someone of being anti-Semitic if they're not uh, or putting across anti-Semitic messaging if they're not. But I also don't want to ignore it if it is happening, because obviously it's a big issue and it's something that needs to be um, addressed and, and something that needs to be acted on. So, yeah, um, if it is the case then that kind of backs up the point we were making about how the club have been put in a position with the Ashburton Army where, yeah, maybe they do enjoy the atmosphere that they bring and that they generate, but if they're crossing lines, they've got no choice but to come down on them. So, yeah, um, thank you for raising that. Um, it's, it's, it's a really important point. Um, Jack Stone says, some people can't live without their phone. They're addicted to it. Uh, it's a shame how we've all become controlled by this. Mate, I'm like that sometimes too. The amount of times I'm at home and I and I, I sit there and I think, why am I scrolling through my phone? Like, what am I actually doing? 
it's just aimless, pointless scrolling. I'm not looking for anything in particular. There's not a particular event going on that I want to follow. There isn't a particular thing I want to read. I just find myself picking up my phone and rolling through it. And I'm like, what am I doing? And I've made a conscious effort now in the evenings when I'm sitting down with my wife to go and put my phone in the kitchen or something where it's out of sight, out of mind, because I don't want to be, um, I don't want to be in that situation where I'm just wasting all my time, spending all my time. When I get those notifications about how much screen time I've, I've had over the, it makes me feel sick. It's awful. It's really, really bad, but you're right. Um, it is a societal problem at the moment, I think. And, um, and one that we need to, um, one that we need to, uh, try and, and navigate around. Uh, Jay says, uh, I didn't want to put you in an awkward position. Just going back to the, the chat about the Ashburton army. It was reported by the guardian. Um, mate, uh, you haven't put me in an awkward position at all. No problem. Like, I'm glad you raised it. It's interesting. Um, it's interesting. I just wanted to make the point that I don't know whether that's happened one way or the other. So I don't want to be seen as someone that's defending anti-Semitism because I'm obviously massively against that. But I also don't want to be someone that is throwing mud at a group of people that did something or, or that are accused of doing something that they didn't because the answer is I don't know. And I've been in that situation over the last couple of years where I've been accused of saying something or, or doing something that I didn't do. Um, not on that level, but it, it's the most frustrating feeling I think that you can experience as a human being of being sort of, you know, labeled as something that you're not. And it doesn't matter what you say or, or what you do. You, you've been tarred with that brush now. So yeah. Um, that's why I kind of made it clear that I don't have a, a, an opinion on that really, because I don't know whether it's true or not. Okay, uh, what else do we want to talk about? We're going to talk about Victor Osimen in just a moment. But if I could just ask you to leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel if you're new. That really, really does help. Uh, short pause, and then we're going to talk of Victor Osimen. Has he given a clue about where he might end up come the summer? Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. I'm going to take some of your questions in a couple of minutes, so please do get them in if you've got any. Um, Victor Osiman has been speaking uh, about his future. Um, he was responding to the links uh, to the Premier League that just aren't going away at the moment. He was talking to CBS Sports uh, Galazzo. He said something along the lines of, when you're one of the hottest strikers in Europe, and I thought to myself, bloody hell, you back yourself, don't you? Um you know, the, the links are inevitable. That stuff is going to happen. Those conversations are going to be had. He says he already knows what he wants his next move to be. He says he already knows how he wants his career to go, um, that he's had setbacks in the past, that it hasn't always gone the way he planned, but that in his mind he knows where he wants to be and that come the summer, um, you know, he'll be focused on making that happen. For now, he's focused on Napoli. He's focused on spending time with his family, he says, um, and it was kind of his way of saying, look, stop talking about me. This isn't a tug of war. I kind of know where I want to be and I know where I'm hoping to end up. And all that I'm focused on is essentially making that happen. Was there any hint about him joining Arsenal? No, none whatsoever. For those of you getting carried away, um, we know that his release clause is around about 105 million euros, I think. Um, is it? Sorry, 105 million pounds, I think it is. I beg your pardon. Um, which feels... 
expensive, obviously, but also isn't outrageous when you think that we paid that for Declan Rice, who's a central midfield player. Always say this, you know, uh, goals are the most valuable commodity in football. Um, but yeah, um, will Arsenal go on and pay that in the summer? I don't know. I think Arsenal need to sell in the summer first. I think it's going to be one of those frustrating windows in that we're going to be waiting, I think, in the first couple of months for for players to go. Um, and once they go, then we'll be able to push through with deals um, that we want. But, you know, there's other Premier League clubs that will be in the mix. I don't think Man City will be in the mix. You know, they've got Erling Haaland, Julian Alvarez uh, is there as well. Um, you know, uh, that would be um, foolish on their part, I think. But then you look at like Manchester United. All right, they spent a lot of money on Rasmus Hoyland, but under Ineos, will they be looking to bring in a marquee striker? Some would say that they'd probably prefer to bring in a striker to help Hoyland, someone a bit more experienced, given that they've invested in him and he's the long-term project. You look at, you know, Liverpool, do they need an out-and-out centre-forward? I think Klopp would argue that he's got enough forward options. But Chelsea certainly need a centre-forward. Arsenal needed a centre-forward in a lot of people's opinions. And then, you know, there's the whole Real Madrid thing. Are they going to get Kylian Mbappe? In which case they would need um, Victor Osimhen. There's, there's plenty of clubs that will be in the mix for this guy. Um, are there plenty of clubs that can afford it? Maybe not, but we're going to have to see how that pans out, of course. Um, but Arsenal can't afford it at the moment unless they make sales is the point I'm trying to make. OK, let's um, let's go over into the live chat. Um, what have we got? Uh, uh, Louis Robson says 130 mil, isn't it? I think euros is, I think it's 130 million euros or something like that. 120, um, it's about 105 million pounds from what I, from what I gather. Um, let's see what we got here. Uh, Louis says, if we wait till the summer and Osiman decides to move to Chelsea, should we go for Tony, even though I don't want him? Well, this is the problem I've always had with the Ivan Tony thing. I can't put Ivan Tony in the same category in terms of his price as Victor Osiman. And that's the issue. One of the issues I've always had with the Ivan Tony thing is like, yeah, good player, good Premier League player, 27 years old, whatever he is. But you're talking about 100 million pounds plus when I could go and get one of the hottest strikers in European football over the last two years, not just in in one country in European football for the same money where would I go it's obvious and that's the issue I had with the Ivan Tony thing and we'll still have look I don't think for what it's worth that Brentford will will dig in for 100 million come the summer I think the 100 million that they keep talking about was a price that they wanted in January because of the damage that losing him was going to do mid-season but I think if you're talking the summer, you could probably get him out of there for about £70 million. Then you've got to try and figure out whether Osimhen, in your eyes, is worth £30 million, for example. Do you know what? I don't even know that Napoli are going to are gonna hold out for the release clause on Osimhen either. I think if someone came in with a solid £80 million offer, they'd have to think about that as well, um, given sort of the financials around Napoli. You know, Aurelio De Laurentiis is in hot water at the moment with some of the authorities. So, yeah, there's... Um, there's a lot to play out. This could go, um, you know, 
this could go one way, but it could very, very easily go another way. And, and I think it's one of those games that you're going to have to play once you're in it. There's no point in trying to predict how it might go. Um, Chelsea, would you join Chelsea if you were Victor Osman? I certainly wouldn't. Um, I really wouldn't. I, I, I think it's a basket case of a club. They got to the semi-finals. Uh, sorry, they got to the final, I beg your pardon, of the Carabao Cup last night. They were jumping up and down about that, and that's great for them. But, I mean, they beat Middlesbrough. Bottom half of the championship side, mid-table championship side. Is that something to scream and, and jump about? I, I think that Chelsea will tell you that they've improved recently. Maurizio Pochettino keeps on telling us that, but they're only beating sides that they should be beating, really. Um, so I'm not I'm not really um, convinced that he would be desperate to go there. Afsar says um, that the Emirates Stadium capacity needs to increase and that would resolve the ticket issues. I don't think it would, Afsar. How much can you increase it by? 5,000? Would that fix the issue? I don't think it does. Um, I think that I've had this conversation with, with you guys before, but I think there's almost more value in having this incredible demand for your tickets than there is having spare ones. And the club will look at it like that. They're not going to expand beyond 60,000. They don't really need to, to be honest with you, because it's only last season and this season that people have been filling out the Emirates Stadium and taking up all the seats. Yeah, OK, North London derbies, it was always great. Arsenal, Man United or Arsenal, Chelsea, whatever. Fine. But generally speaking, the support has only come flocking back because we're playing well again and we're in a position where we're competing again. Go back three years, four years, and I honestly couldn't give away a ticket. Genuinely, I was in that position on many occasions where we had a spare ticket in the family and we couldn't get, couldn't give it to anyone. Nobody wanted it. People that used to ring me up and say, oh, man, I can never get Arsenal tickets. I'd ring them up and I'd say, mate, I've got a ticket for you. Do you want it? And they'd go, oh, no, do you know what? It's cold or I'm tired. You know, I've had a busy week at work. And I just think to myself, don't moan then. And the problem is, is that you expand the stadium and Arsenal drop off a little bit, then you're going to have even more empty seats than you did before. So I personally am against the expansion of the stadium because I don't think that generally we need it. I think we're going through a period now where there is a massive demand because of um, the fact that we're competitive and all the rest of it. But looking at the overall picture, as you need to do with these things, you need to kind of um, step back and, and look at the bigger picture. I don't think that an increase in capacity is is necessary. Uh, Aaron says, uh, morning, bro. He's talking about um, Victor Osimhen here. Um, would you have to pay the release clause in full like you do in La Liga? Um, well, I I'm not sure of the details and the intricacies of this release clause, and I'm not really sure of Serie A's rules around this. I so with La Liga, you have to go and deposit the money to the league and the league then you know, transfer that money over to the football club. That's how the release clauses work. I don't know if Italian release clauses work in that way, but I will look into that because it's a really good question and a really good point. Um, but as I say, I think if if you may meet that value, you could probably come to some sort of arrangement with Napoli um, that would be uh, beneficial to them and that they'd be happy with. Let's take a few more. Uh, I was talking about Liverpool just then when we were discussing potential destinations for Victor Osimhen and Jid says, you say Klopp would argue that he has enough forward options. Jota and Nunez only pipped Eddie's league goals tally in the last game. So why is Liverpool arguable? But we definitely need a striker. 
Um, I think because the difference with Liverpool is that they've got um, they've got a Mohamed Salah, basically, is how I look at it. Someone who is going to score 20, 25 goals a season and Arsenal don't have that one person. Then you complement that with your Jotas and your Nunez. And remember, some of these players have been injured at points as well. Your Gakpos, um, your Luis Diaz's. When you factor all those in alongside someone who gets... 25 30 goals a season that's the difference between arsenal and liverpool in the goal scoring department right last season it wasn't an issue for us and as i've said before um you know we scored 88 league goals which was incredible but that was because you had three players that all hit 15 in the league we're not anywhere near that at the moment with those three players and jesus isn't getting you 20 25 goals a season pushing on to 30 either so there's no doubt that they've got more goals in their team, basically. And Mohamed Salah is a big part of that. Now, if Mohamed Salah leaves, then things change for sure. Um, but yeah, with Mohamed Salah in the equation, there is less of a need for someone that will score you 20, 25 goals because they've got that in him, even though he plays from the right-hand side. So that's the difference, I would say. Uh, let's take this one from Dr. Pepo says off topic, but is Emil Smith Rowe getting more game time because Arteta genuinely believes in him or is he putting him in the shop window? Hopefully option one. I think it's, I think it's both. Okay. I think it's both. I think there is a belief in him. Mikel Arteta was the one that pushed for that contract um, that was given to him, that gave him the number 10 shirt and all of that. Uh, those uh, few years ago, I think there is a belief in him, but there is a, a want, for him to prove himself fitness-wise. He needs to prove himself uh, ready and able and capable of helping the team regularly and consistently. And if he manages to do that over the course of the next few months and we do decide to sell, then we've in turn put his value up because he's, uh, or he's in turn driven his value up because he's been performing. So either way, Emil Smith-Rowe performing for Arsenal and getting opportunities is win-win for the football club, whether that be financially or whether that be in terms of just having a good player in and around the group as well. So um, I think he does believe in him. I do. I do. Um, I remember when we used to have this same chat about Martinelli. Does Arteta fancy him? And then he became a mainstay in our team on that left wing. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I think there is a belief in him from Mikel Arteta and from the club. But he's got to prove his fitness. And he's got to prove now that he's back and that he's at a level where he can deliver when the team is competing at a much higher level, generally speaking. He's a bit unlucky in that the team's improvement and development happened mainly while he was unavailable. So he maybe has fallen behind himself in terms of the standards and the level set. But we know he's got the talent, so fingers crossed um, he can bridge that gap. Anyway, uh, I am going to leave it there. Thank you so, so much for joining me. Really, really appreciate some great, 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 great questions uh, as always. And we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Don't go anywhere. Like, leave, subscribe, all the rest of it. Um, well, you can go somewhere now, but what I mean is don't go anywhere in terms of being alert to what's coming on the Chronicles of Aguna. And I will see you all very, very soon until the next one. Take care. Goodbye.